Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. Today, I want to try to talk a little bit about metabolic adaptation. Metabolic adaptation is a term that gets thrown around quite a bit right now. It's kind of a buzzword. So is reverse dieting, which is something I'm going to talk about a bit today as well. Um, in fact, it's something that I've thrown around quite a bit. It's something I've talked about quite a bit, which is common. It makes sense. I mean, I spend every day of my life educating and coaching body composition change, period. Fat loss, muscle growth, maintenance, health, performance. That's all I do. So the term metabolic adaptation, reverse dieting as a concept, it comes up quite often because there's a lot of people who approach us who need to reverse diet or who have maybe struggled with some metabolic adaptation. But today I want to talk about it because I think a lot of people misunderstand what metabolic adaptation actually is and I think they fear it and there's a lot of fear mongering around based on this idea of metabolic adaptation, almost like you are going to catch the metabolic adaptation like it's a disease of some sort. But it's actually not something that we completely need to worry about. In fact, we just need a better plan for it um, and understand and be aware of what it actually is. And if we can do that, we can negate some of the negative effects that come along with metabolic adaptation and we can get the most out of our diet and make sure that we can sustain the result that we came to get. So today I'm going to dive into metabolic adaptation and reverse dieting and try to give you a more uh, accurate concept or definition of what these things actually are simply so you can leave this podcast with a better understanding of what metabolic adaptation is and maybe not fear it as much as you you possibly could. Before I get into the show, I do want to make two quick reminders. Guys, the first one is the best way to help me grow the show is to share it with people. So no marketing, none of that. Like, yes, please leave me a five-star rating review. That helps me a ton. But send it to a friend. If you know somebody who is dealing with reverse dieting or metabolic adaptation, for example, or just needs help with training and nutrition, please do me a huge favor. Send this podcast to them. Allow them to subscribe so we can grow the podcast and continue to reach more people. The other thing you can do is head over to Instagram. Take a screenshot of this episode, post it on your story, and let me know if it helps you. Tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom and let me know who you are, that you're listening, and why this podcast influenced you. I would love to thank you for listening to it first and foremost, and then I want to share it on my story so people can see that you're listening too. All right, guys, without any further ado, let's jump into this conversation on metabolic adaptation. Before we jump into metabolic adaptation, defining what that is, and what happens and what comes along with that, what baggage you can expect to bring along with you. I want to talk about reverse dieting. So first and foremost, why would you reverse diet? And I want to talk about this because I think it sets up the context to help you better understand what metabolic adaptation is. So why would you reverse diet? Well, 85% of people who are overweight or obese will in fact lose weight successfully in their lifetime. 85%. This is a documented fact, which tells us one thing. As a society, we are actually really good at dieting and losing weight. As a world, as a planet, we're great at losing weight. 85% of people who are overweight will lose it. So dieting is not our problem. It's actually maintaining that weight loss after it's accomplished that is. 
95% of those people that I just spoke about who will successfully lose weight will gain the weight they lost back within three years. But wait, the horrendous statistics aren't done yet. 30 to 65% of these individuals who lose weight and gain it back will actually gain more weight than they lost in the first place, putting them at a heavier weight than when they first started the diet. So let's revisit the problem here. It's not losing weight or getting in shape. We know we're really good at that, especially because media and marketing and all the things inside of our society show that selling fitness and selling dieting and selling supplements and selling fat loss and selling model bodies, it's not a problem and it motivates us and we are good at losing that weight. It's sustaining that weight loss that's the issue. Um, and this is due to a big list of things actually. Some of these things are dieting too aggressively or low in calories in general following a diet that doesn't allow flexibility or consistency, adherence being the big point there, overly restricting food groups and social activities, which again leads to less uh, flexibility and more anxiety essentially, physiological stress on the body, this is basically hormones, what happens with diet fatigue, rushing the process, so a lack of patience, zero education around the human body or proper nutrition, and last but not least, short-term diet programs without long-term commitment or personalized accountability. Basically, a tailored approach to what you are doing. I could honestly keep going on and on with this list, but I'm not going to because then that will just defeat the purpose here. The point here is we are discussing reverse dieting and metabolic adaptation and just why you'd even want to reverse diet. Why is this an important thing? And I will say that it is an important thing to do because metabolic adaptation. But let's digress a little bit. Based on the statistics that I just went over and all the things I just broke down about overly restricting, physiological issues, diet fatigue, rushing the process, so and so forth, our dieting strategies work. We know how to create a deficit. We know how to shed off the weight properly. Problem once again, and actually I shouldn't say properly because technically we're not doing it properly if we can't sustain it, but that's another point. Problem once again is understanding how to sustain that. Now, we could dive into strategies on how to sustain the weight loss and diet smarter, but we've done that countless of times. I've, I've talked about nutritional periodization on my blog. I've talked about nutritional periodization on the podcast more than once, and I have numerous Q&As that teach you how to do that. So please go check out those episodes if you want more info on how to lose weight properly because that's not what we're talking about today. What we are talking about today is what to do when we use these strategies. How do we get ourselves out of the caloric pit that we dug ourselves into? How do we start eating more food because we are hangry and that's, that's hungry and angry together if you didn't know. But most importantly, how do we do it without falling into the weight regain statistics? How do we become the 5%, the 5% of people who do not regain weight back after they lose it? We implement reverse dieting. Reverse dieting comes into play after a diet is finished and the weight or fat loss goal has been accomplished. At this point in time, we are leaner and healthier for it, yet we are likely eating far less calories than we enjoy and what's needed to maintain health, which means that healthier you is short-lived unless you can bring your calories back up to what would be your maintenance calories. Maintenance calories are essentially the set point, if, if you're unaware of what these are or how to find them, maintenance calories are essentially the set point at which your body maintains weight and keeps all physiological processes in order. This is kind of our north star. It's where we want to look and go to after a diet is completely done. Problem is that after a diet, we are likely nowhere near that because it, what it took to get down in weight also meant we had to drop calories to get there. So not only is our weight lower, but our calories are too. 
So by reversing our calories upwards, we may be able to sustain the result that we achieve during the diet while restoring our physiological health. And this is going to be uh, general health, cardiovascular health, metabolism, hormones, muscles, so on and so forth. One thing to note here is that there is practically zero hard evidence or research proving that reverse dieting works, at least not with that terminology. Like you, there's no studies out there that literally use the words reverse dieting um, or, or talk about using these exact strategies that we're going to talk about today. Um, however, there's plenty of evidence that suggests dieting causes physiological fatigue and metabolic adaptation. There's also plenty of evidence to suggest that taking diet breaks, periods of time at maintenance calories or refeeds can help reverse and restore these physiological stressors and adaptations that occur during a diet. So what we can allude to here uh, is that reverse dieting is a strategy that will work to restore health and sustain the weight loss you achieved, given that you do it properly and you don't overshoot your calories, which we're going to talk about here soon. Um, and the last thing I will add there before we start defining what metabolic adaptation actually is, is that there's also a lot of anecdotal evidence. So evidence is not just, and this is what it means to be truly evidence-based. Being truly evidence-based means that you're not only relying on what research tells us because we know that evidence inside of coaching practices is just as strong as science because if we see something happen time and time again based on a specific strategy we use time and time again, we can allude to that being a successful practice with or without PubMed doing a research study on it. Now, what is metabolic adaptation? The double-edged sword of weight loss is that our body adapts to weight loss, allowing us to survive under famine, like basically starvation. So for our ancestors, this was a life-saving act or practice our body makes, to say the least. When we had no food, but we had to keep going, our metabolism would adapt and allow that process to continue while avoiding more weight loss because with great bouts of weight loss comes drops in performance and other hormonal processes we may actually need in order to survive. Now, it's a double-edged sword because in today's society, we do not have to worry about survival for food. Rather, we need to worry about being lean enough, liking what we see in the mirror, how many people are liking our Instagram post of us with a shirtless selfie, so on and so forth. You get the point. So metabolic adaptation bites us in the ass a little bit since it does make our weight loss aspirations harder and harder to achieve, even though it's a, it's a very smart process our body makes. So what is it? What is this adaptive process anyway? Metabolic adaptation is the adaptive process of your body down-regulating its metabolism, amongst other things, in processes and functions in the body, so that your body can conserve energy, stored energy specifically, to survive longer and to increase the likelihood of survival. A more simple way to look at this is like a game of fetch. You throw the ball, the dog will eventually catch up with the ball. Well, you're playing fetch with your metabolism via calories in a way. You drop calories in order to create a deficit and promote weight loss. But as you go about this deficit, your metabolism slowly catches up, just like the dog did with the ball. So that deficit eventually becomes maintenance again. And then you're left with one option, create a bigger deficit. This is why many people get to the point where eating low, low calories and saying, I can't lose weight. Well, you could, but your metabolism has adapted to the chronic low calorie dieting you've been throwing at it. And now it's set at such a low maintenance point that you are forced to drop calories even more than what any calculator is probably going to tell you in order to see results. So for you to see any significant weight loss change, you're probably going to have to drop your calories to a significantly low level, which not only is very unhealthy, but it's very unsustainable. In fact, your genes play a big role in this as well. Genetics play a big role in everything, when, if we really think about it, when it comes to our body composition and ability to transform our body or physique. 
But there's even a, hypo uh, a hypothesis on this that may not fully describe what's really going on here, but it kind of paints the picture for us. And I, and I really do like this, this uh, hypothesis. It's called the thrifty gene hypothesis. And it claims that we have a genetic favorability that allows us to more effectively store body fat or survive. Ancestrally, these were the prime genes because if food was scarce and you couldn't hunt for a kill, you were the most likely to survive through it. And because you had a gene that allowed you to do this, you could store more and survive longer off those energy stores compared to somebody who did not have that thrifty gene. Problem with this uh, now is that we're not struggling to survive. We have a very high food availability. This means that our body is storing fat still because our genes and our body's ability to survive is there. Yet we just want to see abs. And, and in a world full of fast food and convenience, we don't really need to survive. But within metabolic adaptation, there are a few things that occur which help us actually define metabolic adaptation. It's a group of things, essentially, that create this adaptation effect. And I'm going to go over those now because I think these are the, probably the most important things for you to take away from this podcast in knowing what metabolic adaptation is. Because when you understand these things, it actually allows you to try to negate those things on the way down. These things, uh, there's five of them here. There's potentially more, but these are the five main ones that lead or define metabolic adaptation. And if you can be aware of these things, you may be able to shift or change or slow down these negative adaptations, um, ultimately leading to less metabolic adaptation during a diet phase. So the first one is NEAT, non-exercise non activity thermogenesis. Uh, this may be the biggest thing within metabolic adaptation that stops us. It's a simple act of NEAT. And the fact that it lowers as we lose weight. This is pretty damn simple and it's an easy one to understand. The less energy we take in because we are in a deficit, the less energy we put out via movement. Think about it. The less energy, calories, we take in, the less energy, calories, we put out. We simply do not have the fuel to move as much or as often as we once did. Therefore, our body downregulates its movement naturally and subconsciously so that it causes less energy expenditure per day because that's, again, a survival mechanism. So the result of a deficit is a lower need, and we know based on new research that need is one of the greatest contributors to daily energy expenditure and therefore overall fat loss. So as need lowers, our energy expenditure lowers, our rate of fat loss lowers. This occurs during dieting because when you're in a deficit, you have less energy coming in, and when you have less energy coming in, you have less ability to put energy out. The next one is less mass. Another one that may seem pretty damn obvious, yet for some reason, so many people neglect this. As you lose weight, you are physically and literally lighter. Your total mass, total weight drops. This is the goal, right? So it's not a bad thing, but what comes along with being lighter? Needing less calories to survive, function, and move does. As mass lowers and processes work less hard to function and survive, the need for energy, calories, lowers. Because of this, we need less food as we drop weight, and that is another major contributor of metabolic adaptation. It's also one of the reasons why after a diet, your new maintenance calories is not what it once was because your body is lighter after a successful diet, and therefore you don't need as much to maintain. Next, we have indirect hormone reduction. This should come to no surprise, but... As we lower calories, lose weight, and continue to diet, aka put stress on the body, our hormonal production lowers and slows down. This means that thyroid, uh, TH, testosterone, leptin, uh, all lower, and then cortisol and ghrelin actually increase. So when this cascade of hormonal consequences occurs, the metabolism is impacted and slows down, for lack of better terms. Uh, better is to say that it adapts, not slows down, because... 
even though that adaptation may be slowing down, we know that it may increase as we reverse this process. This is our body working to lower reproduction because we're not suited for it. It's, it's our way of increasing stress hormones so we can fight or flight and, and get away if we need to and survive. It's a way of boosting hunger hormones, telling us to eat, goddammit, and delaying the processes that actually control the metabolism directly, which is the thyroid. So because of the stress that we are putting on the body and less energy coming in and less body fat on our body, our hormones start to downregulate pretty significantly to make sure that they can compensate. Next, we have power output. This is another obvious one after discussing the need, but it's worth reminding you. Your performance in the gym lowers due to less energy availability, meaning that your workouts burn less calories. This does include cardio, no matter what your Fitbit says, as it can't track metabolic adaptation. And that means if you're on a treadmill and it's telling you, you burn this many calories, it might not be completely accurate because it can't factor in hormones or metabolic adaptation. But this also means that we have less muscle glycogen to stay pumped, push through grinding sets, or move heavy loads in the gym may not seem like a metabolic adaptation, but metabolic adaptation isn't one singular thing. It's a combination of direct and indirect outcomes that causes the metabolism to downregulate. Last but not least, we have the thermic effect of feeding. Um, this lowers too, but that's obvious. You're eating less food, which means less food is going into your mouth and being digested. Well, thermic effect of food is a representation of calories burned via digestion. So now that we are burning less, it's because we're eating less, literally. But again, this is a small one, and that's why I put that last. It's probably the smallest out of all of them, but it's something to be aware of and consider as metabolic adaptation happens. So the big question, is metabolic adaptation avoidable? That's, that's basically the million-dollar question, isn't it? I mean, why do all these fancy things, reverse dieting and periodization and diet breaks, if what you say is true and it's inevitable, it's unavoidable, we are going to have metabolic adaptation no matter what if we lose weight and, and go on a diet – What's the point of doing all these things, right? Well, we do these fancy things because we really can't avoid metabolic adaptation, at least not completely. However, we may be able to blunt or dampen its negative effects on our body as we go through a dieting phase. See, metabolic adaptation is a survival mechanism. Our body takes when uh, it, it fears famine or survival or the need to survive or starvation. In other words, when food is scarce, or so our body thinks, since it doesn't completely realize we're in the year 2020 and pretty much food is readily available at all times, it pushes pause on a lot of these functions and hormonal and metabolic processes. I mean, and again, like when we look at thyroid dysfunction or metabolic dysfunction, we got to remember this means uh, like repairing your skin. That's why people with uh, poor thyroid issues or metabolism issues may have cracking or dry skin, brittle hair, um, cuts don't heal as fast, like you're cold often, so on and so forth, because our body is stopping these processes, sex hormone processes like the menstrual cycle or reproduction for men. This all is going to be paused when our body is in this state. But there are some things that we can do on it based on the things we discussed, neat, less body mass, indirect hormone reduction, power output, thermic effect food, all these things that relate to causing metabolic adaptation, we can actually try to work against in order to dampen its effect or just simply slow down the amount of metabolic adaptation that's occurring. So the first one and the most important one is neat. Um, it's, it's, it's one of the most controllable aspects that we have, and this is why we should focus on it. 
it's one of the hardest hitters when it comes to metabolic adaptation as well, meaning when we diet and our body starts negatively adapting to the diet, our NEAT drops significantly. It's one of the biggest impacts our body takes in regards to burning less calories as the diet carries on, or in other words, the biggest metabolic adaptation slash slowdown that occurs when in a prolonged diet. So how do we combat this? Simple. Track your steps, maintaining through a diet. Now, you are not going to completely solve the issue because there's no way for us to track how we talk, blink, fidget, or how much we move in general. But since we can track steps and we know that drops, uh, that drops off pretty significantly during a deficit, we can track them before starting the diet and simply try to maintain them going into the diet, potentially even increase them to burn more calories as the deficit goes on. So a good example of this is as you're at maintenance before you start a diet, track your steps, see what your average step is. If your average weekly steps are 12,000 steps on average per day, then your goal when you start the diet is to maintain about 12,000 steps on a weekly average. Some days might be more, some days might be high, but at the end of the week, you calculate your average, you're eating 12,000 steps per day on average throughout the week. That's going to allow you to try to maintain as much of your need that you can actually control and try to avoid some of this, again, metabolic adaptation. The other one is hormones. As mentioned earlier in this podcast, there are some serious hormonal adaptations that occur. A big one being thyroid production slowing down, which has a big impact on our metabolism. We also know that testosterone and leptin lower while cortisol and ghrelin increase. Because of this, stress is higher and metabolism is slower. But remember, most of these hormones are influenced by all the same exact things, calories and fat cells, which means we can play with our intake and potentially dampen the adaptations that occur to our hormones. Not completely remove it, but again, dampen. That's why I keep saying slow down or dampen the effects of metabolic adaptation. But by incorporating diet breaks, which is defined as a prolonged period of time, typically 48 hours or more, of eating at maintenance calories, preferably through carbohydrates, we can defend ourselves a bit during this deficit. This is because our body is being taken out of the deficit, which gives our body the, the sign that it's okay, essentially. 48 hours is a minimum here, two-day refeed, basically, back-to-back -back days. However, this is likely only going to push the pause button on the metabolic adaptation occurring. This is, this is kind of my theory or my way of explaining it. It will also be a uh, psychological break and great for glycogen replenishment for training since we're increasing carbs. Um, less likely to store as fat is the reason why we're going with carbs versus fat. Uh, but a 48-hour refeed is kind of like the minimum. This is two days back-to-back -to, -back to refuel glycogen, give you a psychological break, and potentially push pause on metabolic adaptation. And the reason we're just pushing pause on it is because it's two days not in a deficit. That's really it. 72 hours is a better bet. It's a three-day diet break. Because past the 48-hour mark, we can feel much more confident in pausing the adaptations while potentially beginning to reverse them. Still, it's such a short period of time before returning to the deficit that we can only hope to slow things down for the most part. Now, 4 to 10 days is probably our ultimate best option. This is a week-plus diet break because it's longer, literally. The longer we are at maintenance, the more confident we can be about helping our body fight against the deficit's impact on our physiological health. And we can actually start to see a reverse in these hormones, thyroid, testosterone, ghrelin, leptin, cortisol. These things will start to be um, going in the opposite effect that they are. They're going in a negative path during the deficit, and we may be able to reverse that temporarily if we take a prolonged diet break. This is why nutritional periodization is so key in what we do at Tailored Coaching Method. But still... We have to throw out the caveat and remind everybody listening to this that at the end of your 12, 16, or 20-week diet fat loss phase, you are still in a deficit for the majority of the time losing body weight, both which lead to metabolic adaptation and your goal. So it's not a bad thing. 
Now, this is not a cure or a tool that will remove or avoid it, but rather just help your body better handle it and bounce back from it. Because once you return to maintenance, your body has been better trained to maintain lower weights at higher intakes. So I'm going to repeat that real quick. As we do these diet breaks during a fat loss phase, you have less physiological stress as a whole. You're still being stressed, but you have less of it because of these diet breaks. And then last but not least, every time you take a diet break, whether it's five days or seven days or 10 days, you are spending a prolonged period of time eating more food while still maintaining a lower weight than when you started the diet. That is literally training your body to maintain lower weights at higher intakes, which makes sustaining it after the diet is done and reverse dieting a hell of a lot easier. So how do we reverse diet now? You're probably wondering this and exactly how we do this. Like, what are the steps? We've kind of gone over what it is. We've gone over the metabolic adaptation side of things. We've gone over the downsides of dieting, which is why we're going to be reversing in the first place to remove any of those metabolic adaptations. Um, and I've talked about reverse dieting multiple times on the podcast and in the blog, which will be linked in the show notes. But, but now we're going to kind of get into some applicable stuff before we wrap up this podcast. Um, the first one uh, thing I want to talk about is a infographic I actually made for a recent blog I wrote. And it's a graph. And it shows on the far left at the far top, it says maintenance calorie slash weight. So it's at its highest point. And then it says on the far right bottom, it says final result in calories and weight. It's at its lowest point. Your weight is at the lowest, but so are your calories. The problem most people make here is reversing to the wrong spot. So when we look at this, like figuratively speaking, we have our new maintenance and we have our old maintenance. The key to what we need to do is to reverse to our new maintenance versus our old maintenance. There's a few reasons for this. This means that your new maintenance, quote unquote, will fluctuate, A, because maintenance calories are more like a range than a set in, in stone number, uh, B, because your diet timeline and level of aggressiveness determines how far that drop may be, and C, because the more weight you lose, example would be going from obese to lean, the more likely it is to create a bigger gap between the previous maintenance and your new maintenance. If we answered the question in one simplified way, we'd say that how to reverse diet is literally reversing the diet. Like we talked about at the very beginning of this podcast, it's reversing the adjustments you made downward and just making them upward, bringing you up from your caloric uh, intake at the very end to where you started at your maintenance. Here's the problem with that scenario. And this is what I talked about in that graph, metabolic adaptation, like we have been discussing this whole entire time. When metabolic adaptation occurs during the deficit and fat loss, our body lowers its maintenance calories. That's essentially what metabolic adaptation is. It's the physiological process of lowering our metabolic rate in a sense. So when people jump into a reverse diet and either A, bring their calories right back up to the old maintenance, or B, slowly bring calories up but don't stop until they reach their old maintenance, they usually gain excess weight and are confused as to why unless they're a hyper responder, which I will, will go over soon. They'll kind of be like, I thought this reverse diet thing was supposed to get me ripped and I see these before and afters and that's not the case. And it's, and it's hard because there's a lot of people out there putting out, even myself included, putting out before and afters of people who have successfully reverse dieted. But that's, that's not always the case. Now, back to the reverse dieting. When you bring up your calories quickly like that, you will feel better without a doubt. Your body is getting more food and that will directly influence your body's ability to recover and reboot some of those processes that had been slowed down or stalled out during the diet but you won't look how you want to look unless you do things properly. Before we dive into the three options that I'm going to go over today uh, that I've kind of laid out for you on how to do this properly, this reverse diet properly, just a note for you to take in and, and kind of remember, you will gain weight. 
But also remember that every one gram of carb holds three to four grams of water. More food means more sodium, most likely. The muscle stores carbs and water. This is a good thing. And when we increase calories, you have more food volume inside your gut, literally. All of these things weigh down the scale, and none of them are body fat. So it's really important to understand that some of that weight gain isn't always going to be just negative body fat. Weight gain is normal, and it's going to be a part of it. But it doesn't stop the fact that you shouldn't reverse to your old maintenance. And that's like the biggest take-home point with this reverse dieting uh, concept I'm talking about. When you start a maintenance, let's say you're at 2,500 calories. Let's give you some numbers for context. Say you're at 2,500 calories, and you diet down to 1,500 calories. You lose 25 pounds. You look lean. You have your abs. You're so pumped. You're going to reverse diet back to maintenance. You go back to 2,500 calories. What happens? you gain weight because now you're in a 500 calorie surplus. The reason you're in a 500 calorie surplus is because your new maintenance is actually 2000. So what you should have done is gone from 1500 to 1850 to 1950 to 2050, see a slight weight gain, pull back to 2000 and then you level out. So now what we did instead is we figured, logically speaking, since our metabolism has slowed down and I'm a lighter weight, my, my maintenance is probably not 2,500 anymore. So let's go right in the middle. My maintenance is probably 2,000, but I'm gonna reverse up slowly. I'm gonna initially give myself a 350 calorie bump, a pretty good bump to make sure that right away I'm, I'm starting to reverse these metabolic processes right away. I want physiological health more than anything. So we bump up to 2,000, or sorry, 1,850. Then from there, we go to 1,950. We add 100 calories. Nothing happens. We don't gain weight. We're feeling better. Awesome. We go to 2,050 calories. Then we gain a pound. Well, now we know we probably passed our maintenance. We waited a week. That pound didn't go away. What do I do? I pull 50 calories, settle back down to 2,000. We lose a half a pound to a pound over the next few weeks, and we have found our new maintenance. But it isn't at 2,500 like it was because we're 25 pounds lighter. And this is what happens during a reverse diet successfully. Now, over time, as you train more, you build more muscle, so on and so forth, you take more diet breaks, you manage your lifestyle, you manage stress, all these different things, then what you will notice is that you are better able to handle more calories. So you may be able to actually bring those calories past that new quote-unquote maintenance because you've trained your body to do so. But that comes in time of adjusting. Now, three options I'm going to leave you with today, and then I'm going to cover uh, a couple common questions. One being, when do I stop reverse dieting? And one about hyper responders. But option number one for a reverse diet of how to do it is, is the linear approach, where we have one set intake across all seven days in the week and slowly bring our calories up for this reverse diet. But the proper route to take with this is to actually bring calories up immediately to your new maintenance, like I just talked about. This means sometimes making a significant jump in calories, not a just 50 to 100 calorie bump, because that will not help your metabolism or your hormones improve. We want you to take, take you out of physiological stress right away. If we drag that process on and baby step it too much, you just spend more time in a deficit, literally. Because, think about this, if you're new, like an example I just used, you cut to 1,500, old maintenance was 2,500, new maintenance is 2,000. You reverse to 1,600, you're still in deficit. 1,700, still in deficit. 1,800, still in deficit. 19, still in deficit. Finally get to 2,000, but that took you six weeks of reverse dieting at 100 calories per week. That is six extra weeks in a deficit, six extra weeks of physiological stress. People don't realize that. 
So like I said, you're going to bring up your calories a solid amount. It does vary by individual to what you predict or calculate your new maintenance to be at. Wait there for two to three weeks, and then if able, continue to bump up calories in a slow classic reverse diet style. You can even wait one to two weeks. But the point being is you, you bump to new maintenance, feel better, and then you bump up 10 to 20 grams of carbs every one to three weeks. Example would be the, like the one I just gave you of going from 1,500 right to 1,850 and then immediately to 2,000 versus babying it up 100 calories at a time. Option number two, this is option is only doable if you had plenty of diet breaks on the way down during the diet phase, which is what I recommend. If you did that, then your first adjustment is to bring your calories right back up to the diet break intake, which is probably your predicted maintenance because during the deficit and fat loss phase, you may have, or really you should have lowered your diet break or refeed intake to uh, maintenance intake, I should say, slightly as you dropped calories and body weight during the deficit. The reason for this is because once again, your maintenance during a diet lowers. So if your diet breaks are your maintenance calories as you diet and lose weight and lower calories and you prolong this diet, you should probably reduce your refeed slightly with that to reflect a better true accurate maintenance. The other reason you do this would be if you notice big fluctuations on your diet breaks, which is another sign that you're overshooting those refeed or diet breaks calories a little bit. This often happens when someone sets their refeed calories on week one, but doesn't change them like I just talked about during the 20 to 12 to 20 week diet phase. When someone does this, they're going into a surplus on those, those diet breaks, not maintenance. And it usually slows down their progress. They'll see this huge fluctuation. They take their diet break and they're like, I gained four pounds. Why did that happen? A couple pounds is normal because of water, but it usually falls off right away. And most clients where I'm doing diet breaks properly or their body's responding well, they will gain a pound and it drops right away or they won't gain anything or they'll even lose weight. Option three, again, this is for uh, those who implemented diet breaks as well. This option is a way of using more diet breaks to start the reverse dieting process. So this is kind of something different that not many people talk about or do. But a good example of this is if you're following a diet plan that has you in a deficit for three weeks on, followed by a one-week diet break. So three weeks on, one week off, essentially. When you start the reverse diet process, you will extend that one-week diet break to two weeks. So now you're doing two weeks dieting, two weeks deficit. Um, and you're changing this ratio. Then it's 2.5 weeks uh, of a diet break, 1.5 weeks of deficit. Eventually, it's one week deficit, three weeks diet break. Eventually, you will allow your diet break to literally just become your daily intake because you are changing the ratio of the de deficit to maintenance until your deficit period is literally non-existent and just gone. This is a way of training your body to maintain weight on higher calories, essentially, which is why in my experience, using frequent diet breaks is actually a really helpful thing during a diet. Now, when do we stop? Never. Just keep eating and eating and eating and eating until you can no longer eat no more. <laughs> Definitely not what I want to do, but I get this question quite often because many people do not know when to actually stop reverse dieting. Like how much is enough? How much is too much? There's no real answer here, but one thing I can tell you is that once you get to maintenance or slightly above, you're going to be getting plenty of the, uh, you're going to get the majority of the benefits you need and you'll feel that in your training, recovery, sleep, and general health and biofeedback, things are going pretty well. There's no use in turning this into a competition, which unfortunately some coaches do. They'll take their 115-pound bikini competitor to 600 grams of carbs just because they can, quote-unquote. Yet, that's awesome, lots of carbs, and they're probably building some muscle because of it, but the human body can only put on so much muscle at any given time. So, would the same benefit happen from 400 grams of carbs instead of 600? Maybe. So, 
and likely without digestive stress, turning food into a chore and having a meal prep abnormal amounts. Not to mention when carbs go that high and you don't increase protein with it, a lot of your protein is coming from poor and unbioavailable sources from grains, potatoes, and vegetables. But if you do program properly and increase protein slightly, well, guess what? That's even more food. So the point here is simple. If you reached maintenance, which you'll know because A, you'll feel like a normal human again after dieting, and B, because your weight is no longer fluctuating up or down, then you can stop the reverse right there. If you're climbing calories up and still don't feel truly well, as your biofeedback isn't improving at all, then you're not done reversing and you need to continue bringing up calories even if your weight stops fluctuating. Because sometimes people just get too lean and they do in fact need to put on a little bit of body fat in order to improve health. So it's not just calories, it's actually weight. Now, lastly, if you reach maintenance but you want to gain some muscle mass, then you should slightly pass that maintenance level intake and begin to eat in a surplus with the goals of adding new tissue. Now, last but not least, what about hyper responders? We all know those people who eat more food during a reverse and lose more fat. My biggest problem with these transformations is that they are far less common than the opposites, i.e. gaining weight and or maintaining weight during reverse. Yet they, they are impressive and when they happen, we share before and after pics. I'm guilty of this. And it can be misleading to the public regarding what a reverse diet actually does for you. That being said, I'm just going to break down what a hyper responder actually is because I get this question all the time, like how are people able to eat so much food and not gain weight? So a hyper responder is someone who responds very well to a reverse diet, and it can be from three main things. Number one, they're genetically gifted with an adaptive and responsive metabolism. Sometimes this does bite people in the ass because they adapt so well in calories in, but the same applies to calories being taken away, meaning that they may not gain much weight, if any, on a reverse diet, but they may not lose much on a cut when it's time to go into a deficit. So pulling more and more calories is still required for them. The lucky side of this is that their metabolism adapts quickly to the increases, and they tend to not gain as much weight as you add calories into the diet. Neat increases, which is also a form of having this, uh, this, this responsive or this adap adaptive metabolism I just spoke of. But the second thing is neat increases, which is technically a byproduct of the gifted metabolism, as I said. When they eat more calories, these hyper-responders, subconsciously they move more as well. Even small fidgeting and talking increases dramatically, but their daily steps and hours of standing do especially. So what's going on here? Simple. They eat more calories and daily energy um, expenditure increases with it. I mean, that's, that's basically as simple as it gets. Number three is muscle and performance. This is ideal and often happens uh, when someone is really smart with their training during a reverse, i.e. they increase volume linearly with calories. Not everyone can do this, however, because if you are trying to recover and adding more volume that taxes you, well, do I need to say what, why that might not be beneficial? I mean, it's obviously going to just kind of smash you into the ground, but what's happening here is pretty simple too. Their energy expenditure goes up in the gym, they burn more calories because their performance goes up higher, and they are putting on more muscle mass. So although some people can't increase their training volume or intensity during reverse because they are trying to recover from some serious physiological issues, those who are not and who can increase volume or intensity may want to because their training might increase energy expenditure as they have more fuel to train hard, and that leads to being a hyper-responder. So to kind of wrap all this up, to conclude this, I'll just say that I, I created this, this podcast and I write these articles and I do all these posts 
um, to really just explain to you a better understanding of what it is. Because if you understand this on a deeper level, you will ultimately understand what metabolic adaptation is, what reverse dieting is, how to avoid these things during a diet, and how to do a diet better so that you can sustain the result longer. But the big take-home messages of this podcast are simple. Metabolic adaptation does not need to be feared. It just needs to be prepared for Reverse dieting is a process that should be used, but you cannot baby that process or you're just dragging your body through the mud, so to speak, or just being in a deficit for longer. An aggressive initial bump after the diet is needed for restoration to happen immediately. The increase in calories should bring you to your new predicted maintenance, not your old maintenance that you started with. After hitting this new maintenance, you can slowly reverse diet like most of us once thought was best so that you can avoid gaining excess body fat. This is an example of this is when we increase very slowly, 10 to 20 grams a week. You will not gain fat if you jump calories up to your new maintenance because that is maintenance, aka it is not a surplus, which is needed for weight gain. Lastly, your initial weight gain will likely just be stored glycogen, water, sodium, and general food volume in your body, not necessarily body fat. I'm also going to link a few things in the show notes. One is going to be an application to coach with us. If you're struggling with reverse dieting, if you want to avoid too much metabolic adaptation, or you just want to diet the right way, please apply for a strategy call. You get a free coaching call with us so we can take you through the process of what it looks like, not only to coach with us, but to actually accomplish your goals. We can teach you this process and we can do so while actually achieving results and letting you sustain those results after you leave our coaching. I'm also going to link a few things in the show notes, a blog by Stronger by Science by Eric Trexler. It's called The Metabolic adaptation manual. I'm going to link a book called Fat Loss Forever. I'm going to uh, link research review called Mass, Monthly Applications in Strength Sport. Uh, another blog and or research review called Weightology with James Krieger. Um, and last but not least, Google. Yes, Google. You should use Google. Search things like metabolic adaptation research and see what you find. Do some digging. But I'm going to drop those four resources in the show notes because they put out a lot of really good content and a lot of those things have to do with metabolic adaptation. I think you can learn more from them. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.